If you look at it psychologically, to function in this world, your subconscious has learned many coping mechanisms and pre-recorded or habitual responses that allowed you to navigate your way around. Your behavior is about 95% subconscious responses that you do automatically. Most learned by the time you were six years old. Welcome to God's Love Language, a podcast designed for Christian discipleship with emphasis on developing our relationship and fellowship with God. Now, here is our host, Joe Enloe. Thank you. Thank you for that applause. You're too kind. Yes, thank you and greetings. I am your host, Joe Enloe, and this is God's Love Language Podcast, a podcast for the people. I trust that the Lord has blessed you since we last spoke. We are in our first series entitled Renewing Your Mind. But before we get into today's lessons, I need to tell you about our website. If you've been there, you realize there's not a whole lot to it right now. It is under construction. It's being professionally um, tailored to our needs that will allow us to interact with you in a better way in the future. But it's going to be about four more weeks. You can go there. You can read about us. There's listings there and our calendars there, but we won't be able to interact with you very much at all. If you need to get a message to me, please email me at jnlow at godslovelanguage.com. Appreciate your patience. All right, let us begin today's message. What is one of the first things to happen when we accept Jesus as our Savior and then face the reality of the life we have been living? It's like, where this is where we want to go, and this is where I'm coming from. Oh, my goodness. What we call in psychology cognitive dissonance. What is cognitive dissonance? You might remember that term from your psychology 101 class or from your high school psych class. In its basic form, cognitive dissonance is an emotional state, an unbalanced emotional state. Let me explain it this way. We all try to live a life free of anxiety and stress, and we normally behave and act according to what we believe. These are our cognitive thoughts, which are our beliefs. We believe the way we think. When we act against those beliefs, like cheating on a spouse or a significant other, for the first time, when you do not think it's right, we experience mental stress or discomfort for having two or more contradictory thoughts or beliefs, values or behaviors. We become out of balance. Our behavior is not congruent with our beliefs, and we are preoccupied with this mental stress, and it will not dissipate until it gets resolved. How do you resolve it? One of two ways. You either bring the behavior in line with your thoughts. In this case of adultery, you would stop the behavior, maybe acknowledge the behavior to your spouse or significant other, or maybe not, or just stop the behavior if possible. You know, hopefully you didn't enjoy it too much and it leads you down the wrong path. You stop the behavior so that your behavior comes back into congruency with your beliefs and so that your conscience can be relieved also. The other thing you can do is rationalize that your thoughts are incorrect, that you deserve to have any relationship that brings pleasure to you and that you only live once, so why not enjoy it? That we're not meant to be monogamous anyway, right? You tell yourself these things. and So you would bring your thoughts in line with your behavior, thus relieving the imbalance of cognitive dissonance. So the two ways to relieve cognitive dissonance are, one, bring the behavior in line with your beliefs, thoughts, 
or two, change the thoughts and beliefs to fall in line with a new behavior. And if it's bad behavior, that means you usually kind of sear your conscience. The same thing happens when you convert to Christianity. Lo and behold, you're now faced with conflicting cognitive and behavioral ideologies. The Word of God is telling you one thing, and the life you're used to living is calling you back. Come back. How you handle this cognitive dissonance is of utmost importance and takes us to Matthew 13, where we read the parable of the sower. Matthew 13, Jesus' teaching and parables. That day, Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea, and a large crowd gathered to him. And so he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd was standing on the beach. And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. Others fell in the rocky places where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Now, the disciples, later on, when they got Jesus by themselves, they complained that we didn't understand this parable. Can you explain it to us? Then Jesus broke it down for them. Amen. We, we don't have to worry about it because they didn't understand either. So he broke it down and put it plainly. He said, here then the parable of the sower in verse 18. Scenario number one. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road. Now, this first scenario is the only one that could be talking about a non-Christian, someone who has yet to accept Jesus, does not understand, but is contemplating it. Now, the snatching can be subtle. Making changes to one's life can be difficult, and those old ways die hard. It is much easier to remain the same and justify your behavior. It is kind of like what he faced in her dialogue with Satan in the garden when he told her, Did God really say? That inner voice will try to get you to deny any of the truths you just heard. You know, the ones that sparked your curiosity and were giving you doubts about how you were living. Friends are very influential at this point. They will normally try to convince you that your life is fine and that religion is for the weak of mind or something like that. Satan knows if he can steal that seed planted in your heart before you, you come to fully understand it, he can stop you in your tracks. You will feel Satan at work when he tries to embarrass you. Maybe when uh, your friends come and, and they see you with a Bible, reading a Bible or something, and you get embarrassed, and then they try to talk you out of it. You must be bold and steadfast to make it beyond this stage. This stage produces no fruit. Scenario 2, verse 20. The one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places. This is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but it's only temporary. But it is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. In this scenario, and in the next three scenarios, these last three scenarios, the seed was sown and took root. So the implication is they received salvation because it's by grace. Remember, it's a gift of God through faith, not works. You cannot earn it. What you earn are your rewards in heaven, but that is another topic. This stage, 
may get you into a church and having a great time with new friends. You're soaking in all that you've been taught, but your foundation is weak. You're going through the motions, but you need to slow down and get firmly grounded in the Word and understand why it says what it says. Most Christians at this stage think the Christian life contains no pain or sorrow, and when difficulty strikes, and it will, you feel disillusioned and take the first train out of church. As a result, you may even drift further from God than you were before as a broken believer. That is why a church should have a deliberate course of new discipleship training available to new converts and those who are getting serious about God. Remember, Satan is the father of lies. He will tell you everything he can to dash all hope and old subconscious beliefs that you have about yourself or raise their ugly heads until you get them renewed. Again, no fruit. Scenario 3. Verse 22, and the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. The worry of the world can be referenced to ordinary concerns of daily life, which are part of everyone's journey through existence. I cannot tell you how many times I have counseled with individuals that are miserable and anxious about many things, even after being a Christian for many years. The worries of the world, especially concerning their children, have got them so preoccupied that they become useless as an instrument of God. Of course, this is where Satan wants them to be. If he can't keep them out of church, he aims to make them useless and a poor witness, one less Christian to be concerned about. The recent coronavirus is also a good example. Christians are so stressed out about this situation, you would think that God has abandoned all of humanity. Oh, oh, me. But relax, he has it all under control. Nothing happens without God's approval or God knowing about it. Wealth. Wealth was also added to this scenario. The deceitfulness of wealth, to be specific, this verse could be understood in this manner. They produce nothing because they are filled with concerns about their daily needs and allow themselves to be led astray by riches. There is a false belief that money can alleviate all problems. The bottom line with all three of these examples is that they all keep the Word of God from bearing fruit in the believer. Fruit is often used as a symbol to represent actions in the Bible, or it can, be, it can represent results. In this context, then, the meaning is, and it, the Word, does not produce good results in that person, or the Word does not affect the deeds or life of that person. We do not want to be a Christian that resembles one of these seeds. But the truth is, Satan will delight in your failure if you do not resemble, or if you do resemble one of these first three. The object is to become a Christian that bears as much fruit as possible. Now, my brothers and sisters, let me say something you may not have heard in church before. Any one of these first three circumstances can be a temporary position. In fact, most Christians that I know have gone through one or two of them before reaching the fourth. I would argue that I have been in all three scenarios before becoming planted in good soil. Luckily, I didn't die before I was able to reach the fourth scenario. You will normally see us, those people who are in, trying to get to that fourth scenario, the ones coming up to the altar call for those who wish to rededicate their lives to God. We have tried before, sometimes more than once, and now God has taken us to a place where he can really do a work in us. All right, scenario 4, verse 23. And the one on whom seed was sown on the good soil, 
This is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty and some thirty. And this, my friend, is where we all want to be as Christians. If you are not there yet, do not despair. Very few individuals will achieve this status right away. The Holy Spirit needs to do a lot of work in you, and you need to be discipled in the Word of God. This podcast is as good a place to start as any. Again, you do not want to be any of those examples except the one that was sown in the good soil, the last one. God wants you to have the faith to believe in Him and then have your faith give rise to producing fruit by being obedient to His Word. To do this, you must believe that God wants the best for you. He wants to turn you into a man or woman that will resemble Jesus in the best way possible. Some new believers make the mistake of believing they can integrate their old lifestyle with a new one. They change obvious behaviors that almost anyone would know is not Christ-like. Examples of these would include maybe having an affair, criminal behavior, cursing, or at least trying to stop cursing, right? And that is a good thing. Those behaviors need to stop. Sometimes those major behaviors sneak back into your lives because the way you went about eradicating them was not the best way to do it. Add to that all the cares and worries of the world, or your success even in the world, and the cognitive dissonance mounts until you finally go back to where you were so where you were, so that you can get some peace of mind. You end up as one of the first three seed results from the parable. This is how I spent most of my Christian life. I spent years and years slowly changing my lifestyle, falling back many times like a one-step-forward-and-two-steps-back scenario. Oh, man. It did not help that I hung around people that were perfectly comfortable with me being who I was. They did not want a Christian version of the person they knew. It was so comfortable being my old self. Being a Christian was difficult and required so much change. And if you have a spouse that is dead set against following God, it is even harder. I needed firm grounding in the scriptures and a good discipleship class to move me through the stages. Truth is, it is exceedingly difficult for the average person to make the change to a dedicated Christian lifestyle. The good news is we have the help of the Holy Spirit. We will talk more about that later. If you look at it psychologically, to function in this world, your subconscious has learned many coping mechanisms and pre-recorded and habitual responses that allowed you to navigate your way around. Your behavior is 95% subconscious responses that you do automatically, most learned by the time you were six years old. The good news is the data in your subconscious helped you survive in this life, even if it was dysfunctional. The bad news is the pre-programmed responses may be detrimental to you learning a victorious lifestyle as a Christian. Now comes the secret to overcoming the pre-programmed junk in your subconscious. God wants you to renew your mind so that you can be used by him and that you can live the victorious life of a Christian. The basic commands for renewing your mind are found in Romans 12 and Ephesians 4. Romans chapter 12 talks about dedicated service to God. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what he, what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. 
We will have a teaching covering Romans chapter 12 in its entirety in our fifth podcast, I believe it is. Ephesians 4 talks about the Christian walk. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the fertility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that, in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Amen. Now, the preceding verses talk about changing your belief system from the old sinful nature to the one that is Christ-like and one that can be used by God. The bad news is, changing a belief system can be difficult. With the right attitude and a humble heart, God will guide you, and before long you will not be recognizable to those who know you. Amen? Before we spend a few lessons on the meaning and procedures of how to renew your mind, next time we will... We will we'll talk about discussing our belief system and what the psychological and biological views of belief say. This will allow us to understand what we are doing when we set out to renew our minds toward Christ. Amen? All right. Thank you for being with me during this teaching. May God bless you. May his face shine upon you. And please take a moment to visit us at our website. Blessings to all. Please join us for a little music therapy after the closing. Thank you for listening to today's teaching. If you would like more information about our podcast and subject matter, or if you would like to leave a comment, go to GodsLoveLanguage.com or you may email Joe at JNLow at GodsLoveLanguage.com. Satan, you have no power here. All right. I'm going to the island in our mind. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for making islands. Thank you for making good music. We love you, Lord. Thank you. Ah, move those feet up and down. Amen. Lord, we give you the glory. Renew our minds. You had a bad day? Hopefully you didn't have a bad day. Yeah, raise a hand, sway back and forth. You do it at baseball games, you do it at football games, basketball games, hockey games. God deserves just as much. Just raise your hand straight in the air, sway back and forth. Now bow them down to the front, to the front, to the front. Yeah. Yeah, we thank you, God. You are our God, our Savior. Thank you, Lord. Yes, tap those feet. Move those arms up and down. Move your head. 
sway to the music. Move, move. Oh, God, thank you. You are glorious. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, Lord. I love, I picture the sunset on the, on the island, on the water. Thank you. You made all those beautiful scenes. Thank you, Lord. We love you. Lift us up, Lord. Give us a good spirit. Make us happy. Fill us, Lord, with the joy of our salvation. We bless you, Lord God. You can't feel bad if you're feeling good, people. Raise a hand. Do something for the Lord. Oh, yeah. Sing it for us. Out loud, people. For those of you who can't sing, make a joyful noise. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Thank you, Father. You are glorious, mighty God. Yes, yes, yes. Mm. Mm. Thank you, Lord. So awesome. We bless you, mighty God. Have a great day.